We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aitlin is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen! Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep pounding. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar. I am your host, Billy Marshall. And as always, happy to be joined by my co-host, John Ellis. John, it's been a couple weeks, but how are you hanging in there? I am hanging in good, man. Happy belated Memorial Day to uh, you and everybody out there. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back. We got a lot to get to. Yeah, for sure. There's obviously the situation off the field that occurred within the last 24 hours, but it's been percolating for a few weeks now with the practice facility. Uh, we'll you know discuss that again. I uh, personally, I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer, and you know, as someone who did study business in college, I don't have much experience or knowledge of bankruptcy proceedings. Right. So I don't want to talk out of my ass. Um, I'll just reference the great piece that our good friend Joe Person did today in The Athletic uh, when we go over that. But um, yeah, I do want to stick to what's happening on the fields. And just like last year, the Panthers digital and multimedia department, uh, they produced a fantastic documentary of the team uh, Panthers confidential that details a lot of what they did in the draft. I know last year they included some free agency stuff, but uh, in my opinion, this is one of the better things that the digital side, which already does a tremendous amount of great work. um, This is one area that I feel like they do a really nice job of, and it gives us, uh, you know, on the outside an opportunity to kind of hear what their process is. And it also gives us some data points that, you know, if certain things work out or don't work out, we can reference them in the future. But uh, John, just give me your general thoughts on the entire production. I mean, as always, it's, it's second to none. I mean, I remember watching bits and pieces of it when it first came out and then I went back and rewatched it and, you know, Bill Voth, who we've had on this show before does a great job leading that team on the digital side. Yeah. It's always interesting because you and I both know some people around the league and we, we got some pretty good sourcing going into the draft as far as how we thought Carolina would 
approach the draft. And, you know, one of the dynamic moments, I think, was among many the fact that, and we knew during draft night things were falling their way in terms of, you know, hey, all of a sudden you've got the two cornerbacks coming off the board and the high fives come out. And it's great to see that type of stuff documented. And they had their pick of the litter and they take Iki Aquano. And I think it's who they wanted all along in terms of their top left tackle on the board. And so, yeah, to me, that's one of the things that stood out. And it's always fun to see, you know, we, we, we dog this team for the right reasons, I think. I don't want to say dog, but we're tough on them because it, it's been at times a shit show. I mean, that's a fair thing to say. But it's the hope springs eternal every time the draft comes around. And, and we always try to look for things that are positives in terms of what they're doing. I know the digital team does a great job, but it was great to capture some of the excitement in that room because we know a lot of the scouts around the league. We know a couple of guys in that building in particular, you and I both, and the amount of work that goes into prepping for this night and these nights, that is. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a three-day event now. But, yeah, I, I got a lot out of that. It was a great, great, great production by Panthers Digital. One thing that stood out to me, and we've mentioned it on this show for the past few months, is the leadership role that Scott Fitterer took in at least when, you know, this production came or this video came out, I thought this, it did a tremendous job of showing not only his skill set, but also kind of him leading the entire operation and doing it in a way that, in my opinion, is very coherent. Now, uh, you know, obviously we weren't privy to some of these type of discussions in the past when Dave Gettleman or Marty Herney were the GM, but to me, it looks like a professional type of um, kind of going back and forth, discussing certain situations and scenarios. Everything just looks very organized. Everyone knows when to speak. Um, you know, when they were discussing Corral, they went straight to uh, Cole Spencer, who kind of gave you know an update on you know what he's like off the field or what he like some of his intangible qualities, and then they transitioned to McAdoo and the QBs coach and they went into more of his physical uh, areas of development. Um, but uh, again, uh, that just kind of reiterates the point. And, and I know that there's already been reporting um, that kind of suggests Matt still has final say, but to me, whether Matt works out or not, I do think the Panthers have a pretty solid GM in place. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think you and I have been on, on record with that for, for a number of shows here that, you know, and we've had people on this show, John Alexander being one um, that that knows the inner workings better than we do in terms of the front office structure and how much power Matt Rule has. And I think the one thing that stood out to me during the offseason, hearing from people like John, but also my own sourcing would seem to indicate that, no, Matt does still have a heavy hand in personnel decisions. But as somebody put it to me, there's less resistance now. There, there's more true collaboration. And, you know, people use that word flippantly, but every front office is like that, Billy. I mean, it's they try to act like, well, we're unique. We collaborate. You have to collaborate. You have to have a healthy debate. I think a lot of what you see in that documentary is condensed for time purposes and condensed probably for, you know, purposes to keep some of what their trade secrets are private. And that's smart. But I think there was a lot of debate specifically about the quarterback position, you know, from what I was told, somebody close to that room 
had told me that, you know, Corral was, yeah, their top guy all along on the quarterback side. We'll get more into that. But even with that, it wasn't a consensus, anything close to it. I think with Aquano, they, they got very fortunate. And it was good to see sort of the, as you mentioned, the hierarchy now, because it is Scott's show. I mean, it really is in terms of this side of the business. And it should be. He's got the experience. He, he was with John and, and Pete for a long time there in Seattle. You and I talked with Doug Farrar about this last year. We talked to Sam Farmer about it. And those guys know Scott from his days back in Seattle. And, and he's got the acumen to lead a front office. And then you got Dan Morgan. You know, Dan's the new addition. He's the new guy in the building from, from Buffalo, from his time in Seattle. But he's got a wealth of experience in the pro game, not only as a player, but as an evaluator, as a scout, as a personnel guy. And then Cole Spencer, as you mentioned, was front and center in the press conference before the draft. So it was really refreshing to me to see the personnel people doing their job. And as I said, look, we're, we're tough on Matt where it matters. But, the, you know, he made the call to Belichick about the trade with Corral for that spot. I think Matt's developing some relationships at least to where he, he's pretty good at this part of his job and knowing his role. So I'll say that much. Yeah, and that's a good point that you are at least a good uh, segment of the documentary that you bring up. There was another interesting one, too. Um, I think it was a couple picks or at least one pick before Carolina was on the clock in the first round at pick six. Um, it, it seems like Fitter was on the phone with the Giants general manager, Shane, and yeah. I kind of, I mean, according to the documentary, at least, it kind of suggested that Fitter had a said, hey, why don't you just take the pass rusher now? So yes. <laughs> you have your, you know, you have the option of taking the other offensive tackle at seven. Yeah, he was kind of um, he was wishing it along for him. He's like, hey, look, and it made sense. I mean, look, it it came to the point where I mean we're getting back into the dynamics of what happened on that Thursday night, but it really did fall into place beautifully because you know, Car I think we all agree Carolina would would have been running the card to the podium, as they say. Had Ike Aquano been there at six, I think we had our doubts, both of us, that they would that would feel. I didn't think we thought Neil would be there either. I thought one of them would be off the board, maybe two. I agree. But when the corners went off the board early, that was, I mean, he would, the Jets were the, the centerpiece to make this all happen when they took Gardner. And then the Giants were in a no-lose situation because they had, I'm sure, Neil and Aquano graded pretty equally. And their thought is, hey, we got to go get our blue chip pass rusher. He's right there. We can't risk him getting away from us um, because you never know. Carolina could have dealt that pick back to a, a pass hungry, pass rush hungry team. So it was a nice little chess game there, and it was funny to see Scott talking to Joe Shane about that. Definitely, and then obviously the trade up uh, when Matt Rule spoke on the phone with Belichick, and uh, it seems like there was some negotiation going on, uh, which is normal. Uh, obviously, Belichick he has a job to do, and he's going to try to maximize as much as he can. So uh, according to Matt, Belichick wanted a second rounder. Again, that's totally normal Um, optics. When you're entering a negotiation, you always ask for more. And then when that doesn't work out, then yeah, you kind of consolidate your, you know, big ambitious, you know, deal for a deal that you can settle with. And I think it was a fair deal for both sides uh, to give up the future third round pick. Uh, New England moves down to the fourth Carolina moves up and yeah, I mean, they get their guy. And and so 
again, just a tremendous amount of work done by the Panthers uh, digital team, Uh, everyone associated with that production, tremendous amount of kudos. And uh, I want to move on the field now. Um, We've been seeing some OTA reports. I know you've been posting some really good stuff on Twitter with the press conferences. I was really happy to see Steve Wilkes uh, at the press conference yesterday. He spoke about, Um, you know, just being back in Carolina and, you know, what he sees from the secondary and especially guys like Jeremy Chin. Um, Anything stand out to you from some of these pressers? I know one thing that Joe wrote about is that uh, Brian Burns does want to get bigger, which, you know, it's, it's sort of an emphasis on at least from what Scott Fitter said after the season that they need to get bigger on the edges. And it seems like Burns has made sort of, I don't know how big he is now. I mean, he looked like the same guy when I saw him in the press conference, but I don't know what he looks like in pads. Uh, and then Derek Brown, it seems like he shed some weight. I think he had a marriage like in March, but and he just went through um, the process of trimming down. So any of those stand out when you've been watching some of these pressers? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you start with the fact that uh, we'll start with these two defensive players and we'll move on to the coaches uh, because I've got some thoughts on on Wilkes and McAdoo. But Derek Brown has trimmed down. Um, looks like it's about five to ten pounds. He did get married to his longtime girlfriend, uh, Taylor Maine. And that's according to Joe Person, by the way, from The Athletic. But yeah, it looks like about a five to ten pound shed, which is, yeah, I think, a good thing. I if think- you look at the picture, he looks... Really lean. He does. He does. I, I think he needs to be because I think they're, they're looking for him to be, you know, to maintain that, as Greg Cosell put it, when we talked to him, that country strength, because he's got that natural raw strength, but we need to see a little more athleticism at times at three technique. So I think it's never a bad thing when you, your playing weight is <clears throat> up to 330 at one point. I mean, that's where he was last season and now he according to Joe and others that were at that presser 320 is the goal I think that's a sweet spot for a guy that's six foot five he was at 325 his rookie year so it sounds like we're splitting hairs but we're really not I mean these are big factors every little bit here can help you and then Burns is like I think the report was he's up to 255 and I think Billy to, to that point you look at the schedule and I don't want to make too much of it, but week one, right off the bat, it's Cleveland. Yeah. And who wants to maul you more than Cleveland? Who wants to maul you in the run game more than Cleveland? Nobody. I mean, we've talked about it. Bill Callahan. Yeah. I mean, Callahan's done it to this team before. That Washington game back in 19. So, he they're going to be ready. And Carolina, you know, Reddick, he, he was pretty vocal last year, but I'm a good run defender, this and that. You know, Reddick's bread and butter is – getting off the edge and creating havoc. And we know that he'll do a fine job in Philadelphia. Opposite Burns, I mean, I'm still, I guess, a little concerned about who's going to be there full-time. Is it going to be a platoon situation? Who's going to set the edge? Um, I, I think Burns will do fine. I think he talked about it, you know, very clearly that, you know, there's a lot to being a defensive end in terms of an edge guy that you've got to create pressure. You've got to set the edge. But sacks are part of it. I mean, it's a big part of the game, getting to the quarterback, and he said very clearly it's pissed him off that he can't get into the double digits. So, I mean, you, you know Stanley McClover, so do I. We know Brian a little bit. I mean, I think we all know Brian's a very motivated, driven guy. The fifth-year option is getting exercised, and he's going to be looking for big money. So I think he's going to be hungry, man. 
My, my only concern would be, you know, the rest of that defensive line. I like Ioannidis. I think that's a pretty good pickup. I like Davian Nixon, but you lose Morgan Fox. You lose Daquan Jones, who had a lot of snaps. And, you know, Frankie Laveau is a good player. Marcus Haynes is a, a good rotational guy at edge, but there's still a lot of question marks. Barno, I mean, look, how much can he contribute early on? There's still a lot of question marks about that other side. And I think when it comes down to it, Derek Brown's a big piece of this puzzle, Billy, because they got to get pressure inside. They got to set the edge in the run game and they got to start getting more pressure inside. That's where they, you know, Kwan Short was at OTAs, by the way. And that's where they miss Kwan in his prime because, man, at the three technique, Billy, remember like that playoff game against Seattle, that early pick by Luke Keekley? Yeah, he was, he was disruptive. So, I mean, that, that's kind of my takeaways from the player side, but, but definitely, you know, having Steve Wilkes back it is so huge. But because, you know, J.C. Horn was talking about this last week in his presser, that he feels like he has cheat codes now because he's got Steve Wilkes in the building. And Steve is such a great teacher. You've known his work for a long time. Obviously, he was a DB coach here under Ron Rivera and was the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And, and having him and McAdoo, who I think, you know, is a walking meme at times, but look, he's a respected offensive guy and he's got a voice here. I mean, they're, they're putting Ben out there a lot to talk, and Ben was a big part of that documentary, Billy. So I think you're seeing some, some strong voices in that coach's room. And I think Matt made a comment recently, you don't want yes men around you. So I think, you know, it's taking some time, but we're getting off this Baylor Temple kick, and we're starting, <laughs> to, surround, <laughs> we're starting to surround a very, you know, look, he's got a, Matt's got a lot to prove here. And, and we're getting him with some people now that, have been in head coaching roles before or interim head coaching roles before, like a you know, table or special teams guys. Well, Campen's been an assistant head coach. I like what they've done there. I really do. And I think as for Burns and Brown, those are the two centerpieces of, of what needs to click up front for Carolina, no doubt. Give me your optimistic case for this defense um, ascending and give me your pessimistic case. Because I have, uh, I, I can give you the pessimistic case, and, and that's the fact that you know, late in the year they did not perform well at all, and obviously they've lost, um, you know, a few guys who gave them a decent amount of snaps, uh, Fox, Jones, Reddick. Obviously, I'm not saying those guys were world beaters or anything, um, but I want to hear the case uh, from you as to how this defense can maybe even ascend, or if they do experience a regression, what is that going to look like and why? Well, Billy, they're built for speed. And they're built, and this is why they were so good early on, they're built to play with elite. Okay, so like when you have Burns, and I know he's put on weight, you have Brown, your Turgos Matos, we didn't mention him, but he's he's still dealing with like a hamstring right now. But I'm not too worried about that. It's, you know, TAs, but... He's got to stay on the field because you can use him at three technique. You can use him on the edge. Uh, behind that, you've got Marcus Haynes, who's situational pass rusher. Phil Hoskins had a few flashes at, at three technique. Davian Nixon. Bravian Roy, I think, is a pretty underrated nose tackle. But then you add Ioannidis. I'm still worried a little bit about how the, the second level comes together because Shaq was up and down a little bit, but he's the, obviously the leader of that group. I don't know what's going on with Damian Wilson. He's scheduled to be the Mike Backer in their base, and he's in some legal problems, or he had been, or I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate, but I, I, he's still on the roster. Now, we know <laughs> their, their Mike Backer last year was cut 
during training camp because he didn't fit the culture apparently. Um, and then Littleton they traded him. I thought. Well, they traded him. You're right. Yeah, too. Sorry about that. They traded him to uh, the Raiders, and he had a pretty productive year. So I, I guess I'd be a little worried about that. Uh, on the positive side, l- let me give you my positive pitch on on what I, I would imagine would would go well. Look, they they came off last year as a unit that threw a lot of stuff at teams once they got ahead. You look at the Jets game, the Saints game, the Texan game. What's the common thread there, Billy? They built leads early. And that's where they played their best ball. They had McCaffrey in the lineup, which is a key. So it's complimentary football. But I, I think when you look at what's going on with, like, the defense, they can be damn good because they've got J.C. Horn if he stays healthy back, and he's a lockdown type of guy. Dante's a good player. They've got him locked up. I'm not willing to say Dante's a pro bowl or all pro caliber guy, but he's a good corner. Been around for a minute. He's a veteran. He's hard to imagine – Dante's like the, the grizzled veteran in that cornerback room now. Um, I like Keith Taylor. I like some of the young guys at corner. Um, I do like the fact that they brought in Xavier Woods. And I think Chen will continue to play, you know, where he belongs, which is, you know, closer to the box, strong safety, matching up on tight ends. Got to still work on coverage there. I, I just think, Billy, to me, it, it comes down to how much they can play from at least a neutral position, or from ahead. And you can say that about a lot of defenses, but they're still a pretty light group. I think they're trying to bulk up at that second level by adding a guy like Wilson. You know, they drafted a couple of guys, obviously Brandon Smith. We talked to Greg Cosell on this show about him. He's got good traits, but he needs to play up to his size a little bit. So I think to me, C.J. Henderson, is that somebody who can be a, a steal in a way for what you traded for? Can he translate to number one talent? Um, I like some of their backups. I do, but I just think they're, they're still kind of thin in some areas. And if you get a few injuries, that's where it gets dicey. Let's say if Shaq goes down, I mean, that, that gets a little scary. Um, if I Brian, totally agree. If Brian Burns goes down, that gets really scary. So they're still pretty thin. They don't have the depth of like a Buffalo has built up in a crew because everybody wants to play for Buffalo now. Why? Because they have earned that reputation as being a winner. So, to me, I, how do I rank them? I don't know. I mean, look, they, in some categories, they were as high as second last year. But you and I know when you go into the advanced metrics and kind of look at how they trended, they had some games that were hideous. So they had some games where they gave up 400, 500 yards of offense. Um, and then they had games where they were very competent. I, I think they just need to give this defense, and I think McAdoo will help a little bit with this. Uh, they, they can't play from behind. Because teams will still, I think, find a way to gap them up and, and and muscle them up a little bit. I really do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, football is a team game and it's complementary in so many ways. So I, I agree with you there. And a few guys that I want to mention that need to step up for this defense to take, you know, a step forward. Uh, you mentioned that C.J. Henderson is one number two for me. Uh, this is year three for him. They spent a pretty a top forty pick. Your tier gross matos. It's time for him to step up and be the opposite edge rusher that they drafted him pretty high in 2020. So uh, it's a big year for him, and he's and he is your traditional type of uh, defensive end. He's a bigger guy. He obviously has the athleticism. uh, So it's going to be a big year for him. And and we've already talked about Derek Brown. I, I do think that he looks like he's in good shape and. Again, this is, I mean, now it's June, 
you're not really going to get much as far as, um, you know, how they're really performing on the field. Uh, that'll be something you will be covering in Spartanburg like oh, yeah. you did last year. You might uh, be in Spartanburg for a while now. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But in another guy, I believe that he'd step up as Davion Nixon. Um, uh, again, another guy, I mean, they spent a day three pick on him, but he he looked pretty good on tape. And I know you, you've you posted some clips of him. I have too. Uh, he played pretty well in the preseason. Um, I think that I loved him as a prospect. So I think that, you know, if those three players can ascend, Nixon, Gross Matos, and Henderson, I think that their defense um, can improve. And it's going to be up to those guys. They're young guys. So they got to, you know, the coaches can only do so much. I trust that the scheme, the coaches will put these, um, I trust that the coaches will put them in the right positions, especially now with uh, Steve Wilkes back. And obviously, you know, Phil Snow does such a great job of, um, you know, w- with his concept. So I'm, yeah. I'm confident in the defense, the offense, I, I will say this and I'll, I'll get your opinion on it in a second here. Um, the offense, it's sort of the same thing where I'm looking for certain players to step up. Um, but at the same time, I'm also just curious to see how, the scheme works and I'm going to leave quarterback out of this because we don't know who's starting at quarterback yet. Uh, I just, and I don't want to keep deriding the point that if it's Darnold or if it's Corral or if it's Garoppolo Mayfield, I don't know. So Personnel wise, I don't think it's a question anymore that they improved on that side of the ball. Um, Deontay Foreman is a very capable backup for McCaffrey Hubbard. I assume will, improve uh ian thomas is a guy that i will get to in a second here but they gave him a pretty decent size extension and mcadoo's offense his offenses in the past um they've relied quite a bit on tight ends evan ingram a guy that the giants drafted in 2017 he had some of his best years playing for ben mcadoo so ian thomas you know the front office and coaching staff you know, believed in him enough to give him an, a, an extension that many people thought was an overpay. Uh, he's one guy that needs to step up. Terrace Marshall, another guy that needs to step up. Um, second round pick. I love the pick. Again, another guy in that 2021 draft that I really like the pick. And we can sit here and make excuses about the quarterback and about certain offensive um, play calls that didn't feature him enough. But, you know, he's he's also has to do his job. And yeah. Uh, but John, I mean, the offensive line was an Achilles heel for so many years. That's been improved. Bozeman, Corbett, Iquanu, and we're going to see how left guard shakes out, whether it's Elfline or Christensen or whoever. Um, I mean, right tackle, you have one of the best in the game. So I trust Taylor Moten. Uh, so, yeah. And, and again, looking at the receiver room, um, Hollywood Higgins, pretty decent one-year deal. So, Overall, they've made strides offensively. But to me, the two guys, the two young guys that need to step up on offense are Marshall and Thomas and and two veteran guys that also need to really prove that they're worth their contracts are McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson. Um, let's face it, Anderson's been healthy, but he just hasn't been good. McCaffrey hasn't. Uh, but it's it's time for him to also, you know, step up. And, you know, I'm not going to, question anyone's work ethic i mean these are voluntary otas and anderson you know he doesn't have to come to them it's his choice but uh, i i would like to see some type of improvement from those two players 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look at the offense, the way it's constructed right now, I think they got a lot better. I really do. Now, we're not going to dive into quarterbacks because who the hell knows? I mean, we just don't. It could be anything from Sam Baker, Jimmy G, Matt Corral. I mean, I think those are your four probable options as your week one starter or week eight starter. I mean, things can change. Maybe Matt gets put in later in the season. Who knows? But right now, it really is, you know, the running back room got better. You, you look at what they did in terms of adding Foreman. I like that a lot. Um, Hubbard still needs a little work, a little development. He needs some refinement. But I love Foreman. I love what, I love his tape from Tennessee. He came in. He gave you a little punch. He's got some traits that can translate to sort of a good compliment to what McCaffrey does. And I hope he's not one of these surprise cuts. I hope he makes it. I really do, because that's a good investment, I think. Um, DJ Moore, look, I mean, they, they paid him a pretty fair contract. I mean, they got out of there pretty unscathed. And I, I like the deal for Carolina's side there. Robbie, who's who's to say that he'll be around? I mean, I, I have no sourcing that tells me he's going anywhere. It's now past June 1st. His Twitter feed is always interesting. I'll just say that. Um, and the tight end position, yeah, look, I mean, and, and back to what receiver real quick, Terrace Marshall, big, big season. He's got to have a, a leap here because his targets just weren't there. Shai Smith, he got arrested in the offseason. He's still on the roster. He's at OTAs. I have no idea what they're doing there. They added Charleston Rambo. They added Andre Roberts. I like him a lot on special teams. Tight end, look, Ian's got to – own up to that contract. I know his blocking has been better, but it's still not Kittle level. I mean, we're talking a guy that the contract is not outrageous, but it's a commitment. So we need to see some production there. And to your point, McAdoo did like to feed the ball to that position. Offensive line is fascinating because Corbett is one of the under the radar guys to me. He started so many games with the Rams and an important position at right guard where you know he's responsible for a lot of stuff in terms of silent count, in terms of you know managing some of the calls there and also the amount of snaps he's had. I mean, well over a thousand snaps the last two years. He's played in six postseason games, played well in those games, by the way, had a key block in the Super Bowl on that big pass from uh, Stafford to Cup. Bozeman's a good center. I'm surprised he got signed that early for that amount, but we'll take it. I think the big question mark really is, you know, you got a quantum at left tackle. I think he'll be just fine there. Moten is a good right tackle. We know that. And then can Christensen be that bedrock left guard that this team needs? Can he be the guy? Because you don't want to go back into the well and put Elfline back in the lineup. And that brings you to a position where, okay, guys like Irving and Elfline are good to have on the roster as backups because they have starts. You've got a swing tackle now in Irving. You've got a guy you can have play a number of roles. Irving, he can play guard too. So you just don't want to have it to do a thousand snaps. <laughs> Same with Elfline to me. But I, I, will they put Bozeman at guard? I don't think so. I think he's going to be your center. And I think another name to look out for is Cade Mays because you know Cosell was really just glowing on this guy on our podcast, saying you know, hey, Cade Mays is a guy's tape I love. He's got great power. He's got good traits, and he's the, of course the draft pick from Tennessee that Carolina got in on there and late in the draft, but. Yeah, I think the offensive line was pretty, as opposed to last season, Billy. I give them high marks here. Now you got to go out and do it. You got to stay right. healthy. But if they can keep that five together, which I would, I would assume it'd be a Quanu, Christensen, Bozeman, Corbett, Moten, you can get at least 14, 13 games of those guys all together. You give yourself a chance. And if McCaffrey stays healthy, 
you give yourself a really good chance to 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 win some critical games. It's a tough schedule, but at least they're they've got the, the framework is there now, Billy. You can see it coming together on the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. All right, as we close as we close out here, um, well, let's get into some of these off the field stuff that's been occurring. We've already discussed the practice facility situation with Rock Hill. Um, there were more news last night about them about his construction company filing bankruptcy. Um, I, I want to leave the soccer stuff out of it. Okay. Like I understand there's been a lot of talk about him firing the coach and manager. I read some reports from the athletic today. Um, yeah. That kind of put into light that maybe the coach really wasn't, um, you know, working well with some of the players and there's a, just a lot of reports. And again, this is uh, Panthers only. So we'll stick to that. Um, yep. But you know, as it relates to some of this off the field stuff and filing for bankruptcy, I personally don't really have much take. Um, my only, you know, I'm, I'm just referencing this great piece that Joe Person and Daniel Kaplan of the Athletic did. Um, you know, filed for bankruptcy, uh, and in a way, you know, according to the piece, it's a way to uh, protect and pay back a lot of their creditors and other individuals who, uh, you know, assisted in this initial investment. Again, I, I just don't think the optics look great for everything that went down. I think yeah. someone else mentioned that yesterday, too. Uh, I think Rock Hill is pretty much a dead project. Uh, that's as far as I'm willing to go because I just don't really have the intuition to go further. Yeah, I mean, look, as we talked to Sean Watson all offseason, we'll reiterate the fact we're not lawyers and we're also not bankruptcy attorneys. So we, I'm not going to pretend to understand the nuances. I know this GT real estate holdings that, uh, that Tepper you know, has, has put together for the purposes of separating Tepper Sports Entertainment from the construction side. I mean, this is what you do. It's, billionaires across the board will do this kind of stuff from what I'm told. I, I'm just like I posted last night, we had a little fun with it. And then it just comes back to wins. And just a reminder, it's been over 1600 days, Billy, since the Panthers were in the month of December with a winning record. So, I mean, that's 2017 week 17 at Atlanta, just for a reference point. That's a long ass time. And for all this off the field stuff, for all the noise, all the Charlotte FC, and I I get there's some concerns from fans. I, I share some of those concerns but I guarantee you, and it's this way with every franchise. I mean, Jimmy Haslam, and, and like that, there's a lot to say about that Browns front office. It's it's that the whole situation feels pretty toxic. I'll be honest with you. But all will be forgiven by fans if you just win, even Watson stuff. And that's sad to say too. But on the Panthers front, it's the same kind of common thread. As much of a shit show as it's been, I, I, our bankruptcies a positive or abandoned Rock Hill facilities, a positive. No, you can't spin that in a positive light. It's not positive. Hmm. Just the optics are bad. The optics suck. So why don't you just start winning and and then we can maybe not have to focus on all this other bullshit. John, I want to bring up 2010. Jerry Richardson was at the lead of the negotiations with the CBA and they're coming off a two and 14 year. And Richardson had a lot of interesting comments towards players, but I I would say most of the fan base really didn't care about that when they started winning division titles with Cam. No one gave it. No one gave a shit. No, it's the, it's John Fox said, it's the ultimate deodorant. You just win and people come back and people stop bitching about field turf. People stop bitching about no facilities. 
And there's a lot of underlying issues that you can point to and say, man, that speaks to bad judgment on an owner. He's got to learn how to own, as, as Pat Kerwin famously once said. But, yeah, I, I think if you put together 10 wins this year, which I think is a real uphill battle, but anything's possible in this league, man, you, you come out and you, you be competitive and you start challenging this division, you start showing you can beat Tampa maybe once um, and, and put New Orleans in their place and take care of Atlanta, who's in a full-blown rebuild right now. Okay, we can start talking about this team seriously. But until then, they continue to be a bit of a walking meme. I'll put that on the players. I don't put a lot of that on Matt Rule. I'm kind of off my Matt Rule high horse here, you know. None of this is his fault. He got hired. He got paid a tremendous contract. So, you know, is he the right man for the job? We'll see. Yeah, definitely. And, again, maybe we'll try to bring on a guest who knows a little more um, about these proceedings than us two. I just don't feel comfortable really, um, you know, devolving on it on this platform. I, I know we like to poke fun, make some jokes here and there on Twitter. And, uh, you know, the people who are reporting this, uh, Daniel Kaplan and Joe Person, um, they, they have a lot more experience and, you know, they fact check this more than anyone. All I can say, and I know you share this sentiment too, it's the optics and the PR. Um, it, it's not great, but again, it's June 2nd, uh, maybe by October 2nd, when you're winning games, this isn't going to be a story anymore. So that's all really I have to say. Fair um, enough, man. Go. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's it for us tonight. Uh, thank you again, everyone. Uh, we're going to try to post some episodes here and there. It's the off season. So, um, yeah, the news isn't really going to uh, be too fast and heavy as it is uh, earlier in the off season, but we'll try to bring on some more guests for you guys and try to keep you updated as much as we can. Thank you and have a great evening.